Welcome to the Tennessee Ghosts and Legends podcast. My name is Lyle Russell. I am your host, and I love a good ghost story. In this episode, I'll share with you my own personal experiences with the paranormal, both as a child in Florida and as an adult in Tennessee. These are the true stories of my experiences that made me a believer in the world beyond. My first paranormal experience happened in a house that we lived in on the edge of the Forest Hills neighborhood of Tampa, Florida. It was an older house nestled in a vintage Florida neighborhood sprinkled with ranch and bungalow-style homes. To my knowledge, no significant events ever happened in that area, but there was most definitely a spirit in our home. The first time the spirit manifested was with my dad and a family friend in our kitchen. They were sitting in the living room watching TV at the time. It was at night, so the house was mostly dark. But the one light that was usually left on all the time was the stove hood in the kitchen. Where the couch was situated in the living room, you could not see into the kitchen, but you had a clear view of the adjacent dining room where that stove light would cast a glow. No one else was home at the time, yet a figure moved through the kitchen and cast a moving shadow across the dining room as if a person had walked through the kitchen. Both my dad and his friend saw it, calling out to see if myself or my sister was at home. They got up to investigate when no one answered, but the house was empty. They both looked at each other and confirmed that they both saw the same thing. To this day, my dad still recalls the shadow crossing the light beam. When I asked him recently about his recollection of the incident, He has no doubt that it was the shape of a person that walked by, yet no one else was home, and he heard no footsteps. The second time the spirit reached out happened to a friend of my dad's named Skip. He rented a room in our house for a while, and on a warm Florida summer night, Skip opened up the jealousy windows trying to get a cross breeze through the room. In the wee hours of the morning, Skip was awakened by the voice of a young girl outside calling for Mommy. He explained that the voice sounded much like a person speaking into a moving fan. Mommy, mommy, mommy. This went on for several minutes. A strange occurrence, no doubt, but not unnerving to Skip. The following day, he asked my dad if my younger sister was visiting that weekend from her mom's house. She would have been around eight years old at the time. Skip assumed it might have been her and didn't think much of it. My dad said no, she was not there that weekend, but the neighbor on that side of the house had a granddaughter who came over to visit for long weekends sometimes, and maybe it was her. The next day, Skip asked across the fence when he saw the neighbor out in her yard. She was an elderly woman who lived there alone. She said her granddaughter would not be over until next month and hadn't been there for a few weeks. Skip told her about what he'd heard, and she said she's heard the same voice from time to time, but assumed it was my sister as well, and thought nothing of it. In either case, both young girls were not there when this voice happened. There was no identifiable source. 
The third time the voice manifested was my first experience with it. After my stepmother and sister moved out, I took over my sister's old room. It was small with a high window that slid from side to side. My dad was out that night and I was home alone, with only the company of our dog Bo. I had the window open in my new room while I was cleaning when I began hearing the same thing. Mommy, mommy, where are you? Mommy. Having known what happened to Skip and the neighbor, I was immediately frightened. The voice did not sound menacing or scary, but it was unsettling. The dog reacted to it as well, proving to me that I was not just hearing things. He perked his head up but did not bark. In any case, I'm certain he heard the same voice that I did. There were other minor incidents in the house, random shadows and doors that would open or close slightly, but we never heard the voice again. The only regular occurrence after the voice stopped was in the bathroom. When I would get in the shower, the mirrored medicine cabinet was straight across from the shower curtain, so you could see yourself when you got in and out. Many times I would get in and the door was closed, but when I got out, the mirrored door would be open and I was the only one in there. However, there was a final occurrence that happened shortly after my stepmother and sister moved out that confirmed in my mind that there was definitely more in the house than just us. Outside of my parents' bedroom, there were a few family photos that were in frames on the wall. My dad had also placed a few 4x6 photos around the door frame behind the door molding, about a dozen in all, most of them of me and my sister. One evening, after a tumultuous day of family difficulty, the pictures were found scattered around on the floor, turned around with the faces towards the wall, and the strangest one of all was one of the framed photos was flipped around inside the frame. At first, this seemed to be the result of another family member's frustration with our situation. However, no one else had been in the house for the entire day, except for me and my dad. Not long after, we vacated that house. It's still there, and we never felt threatened or in any danger while living there. But looking back at that time and what was happening in my family, it seems to me that the spirit was likely a mother, or possibly a young girl, because many of the happenings we witnessed were when my sister had struggles with our family issues. Since we've left the house, I've not heard of any further happenings there. A statistic quoted by the BBC states that approximately three-quarters of Americans hold a belief in the paranormal, and one in five people claim to have seen a ghost. Some paranormal researchers claim that ghosts are stuck in a loop of sorts, continually replaying tragic events and unaware of what is happening around them, while others say that spirits react to the people around them, both physically and emotionally. As for the house I lived in in Florida, I tend to agree with the latter theory, though I believe both are correct. Several years later, while still in Florida, I had the opportunity to buy back the house that I grew up in. It belonged to my great-grandmother. I have many fond memories in that home, but it was dated and due for a remodel. When I moved in, I set to work on gutting some walls and a bathroom right away. Once pieces of the house started coming back together in remodeled form, I started noticing smells at different times of the night. There are two scents in particular that are definitely associated by me with my great-grandmother, and they are unmistakable. She used to use an astringent called Seabreeze, 
It has a very distinct odor, and she used it nightly while she was alive. While walking out of the remodeled bathroom one evening, the odor of sea breeze was so strong that it caused my eyes to water, like walking through a chemical cloud. The other odor I would pick up is the unmistakable fragrance of the gardenia flower. This sweet-smelling blossom of gardenias was my great-grandmother's favorite flower. When I lived there as a child, she grew huge gardenia bushes on the back patio, and in the spring, the whole yard and house would smell of them. By the time I started the remodeling project, those gardenia bushes were long gone, but their phantom smell would come and go regularly, enough so that I scoured my landscaping to see if any of them had returned. I did not find a single one anywhere in mine or my neighbor's yards. Whenever I smelled either odor, I would smile and say out loud, Hello, Grandma. I cannot say for certain this was a paranormal experience, but those phantom smells did bring back some wonderful memories. A final strange occurrence in this home came from my cat named Seymour. He was an albino Siamese that was skittish around strangers and hardly ever made a sound, especially if someone else was over to the house. One night while sleeping, I was startled awake by Seymour crying loudly in the hallway. I got up to check on him, and he sat in the doorway staring down the hall and meowing at the top of his lungs with the fur up on his neck. I cautiously checked around, thinking that there might possibly be an intruder. But every time he did this, I never found anything. A strange component of his behavior is that he always looked in the same place whenever he made that sound, no matter where he was in the house. Was he seeing something that I could not? Some paranormal researchers believe that animals are much more sensitive and in tune to spirit activity than humans are. Their senses are much more stronger than ours, particularly smell and hearing. Dogs are especially keen at listening and can hear frequencies that other humans and animals cannot. If your dog reacts to something that does not seem to be there, you may want to investigate further. After that incident, nothing else happened for several years. When I moved to Tennessee, however, in 2007, another spirit came calling. I rented a three-bedroom house in the town of Estill Springs for the first year that I was here. It was small and nondescript in a quiet neighborhood of similar homes adjacent to a large cattle pasture. It was a beautiful paradise. There were no street lights at night, so it would get very dark. My son at the time was four years old and did not like the dark, so I would leave his lamp on in his room overnight. He also suffered from night terrors and would get up throughout the night because he didn't want to be in his room alone. Across the hall from his room was my office. I could not see his lamp or his bed from my vantage point, but the lamp softly lit his room and I could clearly see into it from my desk. When he would get up, I could see his shadow before I saw him. One night while working late, I sat at my desk while the house was quiet and still. I saw a shadow go across his room which was not an uncommon occurrence with him getting up. But this shadow blocked out a good portion of his light, much more than he normally would. I assumed it was him, and I told him from across the hall to go back to bed, and then the shadow went away. In the wee hours of the morning, I was about to stop working for the night when I saw the shadow again. I told him to go back to bed, but the shadow did not move this time. I repeated myself, and still no movement. 
I got up from the desk, making audible sounds to make him aware that I was getting up. That usually was enough to deter him from getting out of bed, but still the shadow did not move. After I took a couple steps towards the door, the shadow went away. I went to check on him anyway, expecting to find him laying there with a tear in his eye because I made him go back to bed. To my surprise, he was sound asleep, and by my estimation, he had not moved in quite a while. My first inclination was sleepwalking. His night terrors would put him in awakened state, but trance-like. He would not respond to me but would appear to be awake. He would cry and scream while his mind played out whatever caused the night terror. The only thing I could do was hold and console him until it passed. When it finally did pass, he would usually fall back into a deep sleep rather quickly. A couple of nights after the shadow incident, I was working in the office again, and the shadow returned. This time, I said nothing. I got up quietly and started towards the door. As I approached, the shadow went away. When I rounded the corner, my son was fast asleep, and he had not moved since I tucked him in for the night. I waited up for quite a while, but the shadow did not return that night. In the morning, I asked my son and he didn't seem to know what I was talking about, so I did not mention it anymore. I would occasionally stake out his room from my office, but I did not see the shadow again for a long while. Then, about two weeks before we moved from that house into a new house, the shadow returned. I arrived home after dark one evening and no one else was home. The bathroom light was usually left on so the house was not completely dark. Ironically, that bathroom was right next to my son's room in the hallway where I had seen the shadow figure before. When I opened the door to the house, the bathroom light was completely blotted out and then suddenly came on again. My first instinct was that there might be an intruder inside the house, but as in the previous cases of seeing this shadow and other experiences I've had, nothing was found. My last and more recent experience has three parts, all of which happened in the same building. When I worked as a civilian for the Air Force, I was the manager of the Officers Club, also called the Lakeside Club, at Arnold Air Force Base in Tennessee. The cavernous building had many interconnected hallways and rooms, and due to its isolated location, it was very dark at night. Many of the staff had claimed the building was haunted, and though I am a believer in the paranormal, I did not give it a second thought, at least not until I saw the ghost myself. The first time I encountered this ghost was shortly after I started working there. We had just finished cleaning up from an event, and myself, a waitress, and the bartender were the only ones left in the building. Each night we would do a walkthrough to ensure the building was locked and all the lights were off before leaving. When crossing the ballroom to check the back door, the waitress walked with me as we checked all the doors. At the back of the room was a small dining room with a large window that showed a beautiful vista of the lake in the background. On this night, the moon was out. When the interior lights were off, the moon's reflection on the water silhouetted all of the furniture in the dark dining room against the window to where you could see the outline of it but could not see any detail. As we walked towards the dining room, the waitress paused and touched my arm, asking if it looked like someone was sitting at the back table by the window. We both stopped and peered into the darkness, 
and I could see exactly what she saw. It was clearly the silhouette of a man's head and shoulders seated at the back table. I called out to him, but he did not move or answer. We cautiously stepped closer, and as we approached, the shadowy figure dissipated right before both of our eyes. Had someone else not been with me, I might not have believed what I saw. We turned on all the lights and found no one else in the building, and no evidence of anyone sitting at the table. But after that night, the waitress that was with me asked to have her schedule changed to only work daytime events. The second time I met this apparition, it spoke to me. Our chapter of the Air Force Sergeants Association would host residents of the local VA hospital every year. It was a heartwarming and uplifting event to see these current active duty airmen spend time with the veterans from the VA home. It was a day of fun, reverence, and service for them, and we put on a grand show. Part of that setup involved a flag display of all of the services. One of my parade flagpoles had a broken thread at the center, and if not handled properly and gently, it would come apart and drop the flag to the floor. The first sergeant and some of the officers came out that morning to help me set up, but the staff had not arrived yet. As I assigned each of them tasks to set up, I took care of the flags because I knew how to handle them without the pole breaking. Of course, this time, it broke anyway, and the American flag in the display fell to the floor. I quickly picked it up and screwed the threads back together. At that moment, a voice directly behind me said, Thank you. I turned, expecting to see one of the airmen behind me, but no one was there. I walked to the back dining room to find all of the airmen there working on decorations for the tables. I asked if any of them had seen me drop the flag, and after the usual grief I would expect from such a blunder on a military base, they all said no, we didn't see you. I was alone in that room, yet the voice was directly behind me and as distinct and plain as the nose on your face. The last time I saw him was the only time that I was startled and felt a little uneasy. A few months after the flag incident, all went quiet. I did not see or hear the ghost again for quite a while. Then, much like the first time I saw him, I was checking the building after an event and turning off lights for the night, but I was by myself this time. As I walked back through the dining room where I saw him for the first time, I could see the kitchen door and the small window in it. The window was dark and black. Nothing could be seen behind the small square of glass, though this time I did see something. Framed in the small pane was the gray outline of a face. I could not make out any features or details, but there was clearly a face in the window. At first, I thought it was my staff playing a joke on me, but in the dark building and my previous experiences with this apparition, I did not find it very funny. I took a couple small steps towards the door, trying to make out who was pranking me or if I was simply seeing things in the dark. As I finally settled on the idea that I was just seeing streaks in the glass and there was no face, I took a few normal steps, and then I froze. The glass frosted like a large exhale of breath on a cold piece of glass, and then the face disappeared with it. My experiences have all been benign, and never have I felt threatened. I have read accounts of terrible hauntings, and of haunted places that truly terrorize people and the families that live there. I suppose that makes me lucky to have had these minor brushes with the spirit world with no negative results. 
My father still has experiences which he attributes to being visited by his brother, my uncle, and also visits from my grandmother. His TVs in his house will turn on by themselves, and clocks that belong to past family members will stop and start all on their own. And then there's the occasional object at his house that will move. Psychology Today printed an interesting article where the author surmises that in order to see the paranormal, you have to have first a belief in the paranormal and that it can happen. When my father-in-law passed away from Parkinson's disease in 2014, one of his last cognizant days was spent seeing family members who had passed away. He was an engineer, and that type of personality is very practical and analytical. While he was a spiritual person in the religious sense, his practicality did not usually lend to the belief in the paranormal. Yet I saw with my own eyes, he interacted with people who were not there. In my wife's time as a hospice nurse, she told me stories of many spiritual and paranormal experiences that center around patients who are actively passing away. Both she and the patient's family members have witnessed paranormal experiences, and there is little that the practical world can offer as an explanation for it. There is a thin veil between the world of the living and the hereafter. Sometimes things break through and manifest. I consider myself lucky to have seen and heard these spirits, and while I haven't had any experiences in a while, I have a feeling that I have definitely not seen my last ghost. Thank you for listening to today's Tennessee Ghosts and Legends podcast. I cordially invite you to visit my website at www.lyllerussell.net if you'd like to learn more about this and other stories that I'm working on. If you've had a paranormal experience of your own, I would love to hear about it. Feel free to send me a message through my website and tell me about your brush with the spirit world. I'm your host, Lyle Russell, and remember, the dead may seem scary, but it's the living you should be wary of. Until next time. <laughs>